ideas that have shaped my life. Written by Scott Young, January 2021. Ideas are powerful. Arriving at the right time, they can alter the entire direction of your life. But ideas also hide in the background, acting as assumptions, quietly influencing your decisions, whether they're true or false. Looking back, I can think of a number of ideas that shaped my life. Some are only obvious in retrospect. Others, I took great pains to learn. These are the 10 that had the greatest impact on me. Number one, reality is malleable. Steve Jobs, in an interview in 1994 with the Santa Clara Historical Society, presents one of the ideas that changed his life. When you grow up, you tend to get told that the world is the way it is, and your, your life is just to live your life inside the world, try not to bash into the walls too much, uh, uh, try to have a nice family life, uh, have fun, save a little money. Um, but life, th that's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it, you can influence it, you can, you can build your own things that other people can use. And the minute that you understand that you can poke life and actually something will, you know, if you push in, something will pop out the other side, that you can, you can change it, you can mold it, um, that's maybe the most important thing, is to shake off this, uh, th this, uh, erroneous notion that life is is there and you're just gonna live in it versus embrace it change it improve it make your mark upon it most of us will have far less impact than jobs did yet in the smaller spheres of our own lives there is impressive flexibility ideas can only change your life if you first accept the idea that life can be changed number two most actions are automatic. The vehicle for change is not ideas, but actions. Merely thinking up a new life for yourself does no good on its own. An important realization then is that much of our actions are performed without reflection. We repeat the same patterns endlessly, and in that repetition, create our lives. Real change rarely arrives from a single exertion, but from rewriting our scripts. One of the first ideas I really ran with was the 30-day trial. The idea being that you commit yourself to a particular daily habit for at least a month. Long enough to make the habit feel comfortable, short enough that you can commit to ambitious efforts. Two books worth reading in this regard are James Clear's Atomic Habits, an excellent summary on the science of behavior, and David Allen's Getting Things Done, which provides a good system for coordinating all your efforts. Number three, ambitious goals increase effort. Edwin Locke pioneered the experimental study of goal setting. His rigorous research remains a pillar in our understanding of human motivation. Through these experiments, he found two things. One, harder goals produce better results, provided they're committed to. And two, specific targets work better than vague suggestions to do one's best. Ambition itself has a high return. Economists Stacy Dale and Alan Kruger sought to calculate the return to attending a selective school. They found that when you control for the average SAT score of the school you applied to and the number of applications you submitted, the premium was actually negligible. 
However, what this study also found was that applying to more difficult schools had an impressive return. Having the ambition to apply to lots of good schools, even if your own SAT score was mediocre, has a surprisingly high return. All of this suggests that setting difficult, ambitious goals and committing to them has a bigger impact than many people realize. Number four, some progress slows, others accelerate. A naive view of progress is to extrapolate in a straight line. Yet our efforts tend to be dominated by two different trends, diminishing returns and compound growth. Diminishing returns happens when efforts crowd each other out. The first hour of studying is your most energetic. The 15th is exhausting. As efforts become increasingly unproductive, a key realization is often to know how good is good enough. Compound growth occurs when each past improvement helps further growth. What initially looks like a trickle will end in a torrent. The problem is often one of patience. Since beginning efforts seem unrewarded, they're often abandoned before they can really start to work. Side note, it should be noted that not all accelerating growth is exponential. Superlinear growth can occur when past items help, but the help itself crowds itself out. So learning, for instance, helps future learning. But it's not exponential, as that would require every piece of knowledge to help every future piece of knowledge. Instead, only a small fraction likely helps in each instance. Understanding what kind of growth you're facing prepares you for progress. In general, we underinvest in compound growth because it looks like a waste of time. We overinvest in diminishing returns, trying to renew past accomplishments and glories. Number five, life is largely positive sum. For most of recorded history, life has been overwhelmingly zero-sum. Living standards were stagnant, innovation was invisible, and the only way to improve your life was to make someone else's worse. Injunctions against striving and wealth were common in many ancient philosophies. Jesus argued that the rich man could not get into heaven. Lao Tzu preached non-doing as the supreme virtue. And now, some of this is a counterweight to our normal human egoism but partly it reflected the situation of the time. Most of the roads to worldly success came at the expense of other people. In modern times, however, the major way we have become rich isn't through plunder, but through invention and service. Our lives are dominated by positive sum activities. We improve our lots largely by making life better for other people. Number six, fear is overcome through exposure. When I was a child, I had a strong fear of heights. Even being in a glass elevator would put my stomach in knots. Yet years later, I've been both skydiving and bungee jumping. The change came from exposure. Exposure therapy is one of the most successful psychiatric treatments we have. It works to reduce an irrational fear by exposing you to the object of your fear combined with safety. Research suggests that up to 70% of people may be helped. Public speaking, talking to strangers, or taking tests can all create paralyzing anxiety. Knowing how to dial them down, even if it takes more work than flipping the switch, can still make a big difference. Number seven, success is stamina. Philosopher James Carse made the distinction between finite and infinite games. A finite game, like chess, is one that you play for a while and then you either win or lose. An infinite game, in contrast, never ends. To win means to keep playing. 
Most of the activities we care about in life are infinite games. Businesses don't win the market and quit. Health isn't over once you reach your weight loss goal. Even knowledge decays and renews as you learn more things. Conversely, if you can keep going, you haven't lost. Apple was on the brink of disaster just over two decades ago. Yet the game kept playing and they wound up as the most valuable company in the world. Well, at least for now. Stamina is the central virtue in a world full of infinite games. Number eight, attention determines your direction. The quality of your life is, to a large extent, determined by what you pay attention to. Yet most of what grasps at our attention isn't very high quality. Like weeds overrunning a garden, much of our mind space gets filled up with things that neither improve our lives nor prepare us for real dangers. Often it isn't even pleasant, which could be an excuse for useless thoughts. Anxiety and anger about things that we can't control. But like a prudent gardener, you can choose what you let grow in your mind. The conversations you have, the books you read, the news you follow are all seeds you can choose to water. Number nine, we're fundamentally free. In my favorite novel, The Count of Monte Cristo, the protagonist, Edmond Dantes, is imprisoned for 14 years in Chateau d'If. He spends most of the time brooding, raging, and eventually attempting suicide. He is stopped from finally following through by the digging of his prison neighbor, the Abbe Feria, who accidentally reaches his cell rather than escape. Feria, who has been in prison longer than Dante's, has instead spent his captivity improving his mind, practicing languages, developing tools, and reconstructing manuscripts from memory. Freedom, in the sense of being able to do whatever you want, is possessed by varying degrees by different people. Perhaps the situation of your life is quite constrained or you're only confronted by choices you don't like very much. Increasing our options and the options of other people is part of what makes the good life. Yet there's a more basic sense of freedom, one understood by Alexandre Dumas as he wrote about the character the Abbe Feria. Now this freedom isn't always pleasant to contemplate. Jean-Paul Sartre even described it as nauseating. As such, we often try to rid ourselves of it. Yet if we accept it and make our choice, there's joy on the other side. Number 10. Happiness is in the pursuit, not the possession. It's obviously true that life is better when you have friends, money, and status. But it's not that much better. Most often, absence of problems simply feel like nothing at all. Even when you achieve your dreams, your mind creates problems to fill the gaps. New pangs of hunger that you never felt before. This can be a depressing realization or a liberating one. Depressing because it means many of the things you think should provide enduring happiness often fail to do so. Life has no happily ever after, simply more life. But it's also liberating because it suggests that we are what we do much more than what we have. Engaging in meaningful pursuits that help yourself and others is a more satisfying way to live. Seeing this, you can adapt your posture even if you feel like there are still many goals you have yet to reach. Instead of striving to attain some ideal of life, you can organize energy around pursuits that matter. And in doing so, you realize that ideal right now. Thanks for listening to this episode. More episodes like this can be found by searching for Scott Young Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on most other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website at scotthyoung.com.